game consoles are dead. All this and more coming up on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Reliving the nightmare. Leaving the platform. And my red ring of death. All this and more coming up on this week's show. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Hello. Hello, Dave. How are you? I'm okay. I've been a bit ill, but I'm okay now. I'm much better now. All the better for seeing you, Neil. How's that sound? That's good to hear. I am the the cure that you needed, am I? (laughs) You're not Rob Smith. No, I'm not Rob Smith, no. Hello, Rob Smith. Speaking of Rob Smith, I got a wonderful parcel from him this week. Did I show you a picture of it? It's a... Two two things, a 3D printed Amiga Boing Ball that levitates above a pad and spins. And lights actually up. levitates, really actually, levitates. It really does levitate through the power, the magic of magnets. Um, and then an R logo that does it. the same. You could have said magic. Well, I'm assuming it's magnets. It might be magic. Might the magic, magic of Amiga. Yeah. Um, and and a, appar- apparently that Boing Ball will float until the day Amiga dies. But it's still floating, so it just goes to show, Dave, Amiga never died. Can you show me a, a picture of that Boeing ball in 1995? <laughs> I'll have to get a video of it now for Duncan to pop could, up on could we show. agree? Could we agree that Amiga is back from the dead? How's that? Is that good? Yeah, I mean, it's debatable. That the condition that it's come back in, you know, is it is it truly back or is it a zombie? Let's not call it a zombie, Neil. No? I think Amiga's back. I'm happy it's back. Everyone's happy. Good. Well, I, I don't know how we've got onto this topic. This is usually where we talk about what we've been up to this week. Um, what have you I, been doing? I've been ripping VHS tapes. Now, I ripping have no... Them. Yeah, I've got no real kind of connection to VHS tapes. Of course, I used to rent them and I used to watch mm-hmm. them, but I was delighted the day DVDs came along and VHS tapes were immediately cut out of my life. Um, we had VCDs before that, which I never really thought were great. They were, they were just a slightly more inconvenient way of getting VHS, or maybe slightly better than VHS copy um, quality. But more often than not, the VCDs were pirated anyway. So you yeah. just had someone filming a VHS on a VCD or filming a cinema, um, depending on where you sourced your VCDs from. Usually, they arrived in a suitcase from somebody who'd just been on holiday. <laughs> um, but, however, I have really enjoyed ripping VHS tapes, wobbly picture uh, interference and all. And these are tapes from the likes of Virgin Games and Activision. Um, some of them came from the Pigeon Poo Palace. Some of them that I had, the Pigeon Poo Palace, I should explain, the the, the, the warehouse full of pigeon feces where the PC-20 and the Nintendo M82 came from that have appeared on my channel. There were the, also the, some tapes there, yeah. The pigeon feces for listeners was accidental and after the fact it wasn't being stored there <laughs> yes yeah it was the roof collapsed <laughs> we store pigeon feces and vhs tapes that's what we do <laughs> um, so um there's some really cool footage of games and and, the, and these vhs tapes are, are loops that you might take to an expo and have on in the background when mm. you're trying to promote these games when they came out there is an awful, awful microprose video of F-19 Stealth Fighter with the worst impression of Ronald Reagan you've ever heard over the top of it. It's a good um, game. Tell me about that then. It's a good game. <laughs> um, so I'm going to make a video just summarizing all of these, and then I'm going to up- upload the videos in their entirety to probably archive.org, uh, and then mm-hmm. people can go and watch them if they want to. It's even got Fred Harris playing the saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's quite a selection. Um, also this week, Richard down in Heber revealed a ridiculous 3D print, which has yes. utilized the whole uh, 3D print farm. It will be a video very soon on Alex's Arcade Archive channel, but I'll, I'll appear in it. And um, I'm going to say no more other than this is, this is just brilliant and hilarious and wonderful. And you, I can't wait to reveal what this 3D print is. I um, I know what it is. You, you showed me a, a picture, and I, I was able to guess what oh, it you've was. You've got me in trouble now, Dave. I told Richard I wouldn't tell anyone. <laughs> um, but it's Dave. I can tell Dave, right? Dave yeah, keeps I'm, a secret. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah he'll be all right with that. And I'm saying nothing other than I am excited about it. It's um, it, yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah. <clears throat> what have you been up to, Dave? Apart from being ill. 
Yeah, apart from it all, I've been playing Fallout 4 on survival difficulty. It's a totally different game. I complained about modern game. I'm saying Fallout 4 is a modern game. Do I get away <laughs> with saying it's a modern game? I complain that modern games are, are easy. This is so hard. It's much more realistic and immersive, and it scares me. Last time I played Fallout 4, it felt like a point and click. So this time, it is much different. Anything can kill me at any time if I'm not careful. It's came uh, out, much better. It came out in 2015, Dave, so I'm going to call it a modern game. Certainly yes. not a retro game. No. Um, Nearly 10 years old, though. Oh, yeah. When you put it like that. It's funny, isn't it? Can you imagine playing a game nearly 10 years old in 1993? So okay. in 1993, you'd be playing a, a, a 1984 games. You'd yeah. be playing, I don't know, Jet Set Willy? You wouldn't be debating, is it a modern game or not? No, it oh, would no. absolutely be an old so game. You'd be like, hang on, put your doom aside. I want to play Jet Set Willy. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> right, just you Let's and I on. this week. Let's get into the stories. One of the things that I thoroughly enjoy about retro is closure. It's revisiting old things, like old games, and finishing them. Not just finishing them, though, but seeing the whole story, the things I didn't know back in the day. And not only does it include things other than games, but even when it is games, it's not only by replaying them. Sometimes it's by watching YouTube Let's Play series on games or in-depth reviews from channels like Rose Tinted Spectrum, where he'll play a game properly and thoroughly and then make a review on it, having finished it. Even if it's terrible, he'll wring all the goodness out of it for us all to enjoy. And you get as much from that as you would from playing the game at times. There's also magazines and books now that to tell us the things we didn't know. And definitely for many of our audience, as well as computer games, it was TV shows that we remember. TV shows that are aimed at us. I'm perhaps biased, but I think the TV that we grew up with in Britain was fantastic. It was creative, it told stories, it described new worlds. When I've had kids' TV on in modern times, when I've been babysitting, for example, I thought it was rubbish. Is that perhaps because you're not a child anymore, Dave? Could that factor into this opinion? It, yes. It, as I said, I, I, I might be biased because this is what I remember as a kid. So I, I can only remember the things that I remember. I don't remember the rubbish that I watched. But, yeah, I, I do think there's some amazing stuff. Think, can you? Would, would you imagine getting Mr. Nosybonk on TV these days? I don't know Mr. Nosybonk. Oh, you would, you do, you Mr. do. Nosy Bonk. You've, you've erased him from your memory. <laughs> Duncan will put an image of Mister Nosy Bonk on, and you'll see him, remember him, and say, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah." There we <laughs> remember. go. There yes. we go, Mister Nosy Bonk. <laughs> You'd wash that from your mind, and I now had. he's back in. That was that was that was children's TV. Um, but there's, there's some amazing things like Children's of the Stones, and I know that you've talked about Children of the Stones years ago on your channel. But many of, your, of our viewers and listeners talk about how this week in retro is part of their Saturday morning routine, like Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think even as a teenager, Dave, though, didn't you feel that moment where you were enjoying the Saturday moment, uh, Saturday morning, not just the cartoons, but the show, the way they packaged it all up that was specifically aimed at us? And then all of a sudden, did you get to that point where you felt that Saturday morning TV wasn't for you anymore? You were, you were kind of... If, suddenly too cool for the show uh, uh, i guess we became teenagers but even as a teenager i remember for a period during saturday morning tv and then nope this isn't for me and it was kind of sad looking back and realizing that that happened did that happen to you yeah it was almost peer pressure that did it you went through this period where you wouldn't con you wouldn't even think about not watching it and not talking about it that's mm. what you did you were a kid you watched it and then there was this kind of twilight of it where you might watch it but you wouldn't tell your pals Mm. And then the period afterwards where you you would stop and say this this is this is for this is for kids I'm a I'm a grown up now. Also, it didn't feel at the time like it was aimed at me as a kid because I would watch that and then I would automatically go into what came on next, um, the qualifying for Formula One on a Saturday or match of the day or whatever came on. It just kind of rolled into the next program and it didn't feel like I've just, just been spoken to like a kid and now I'm watching an adult program. It was just TV and I was just enjoying it, yeah? It is kind of sad looking back and it's something I'm going to touch on later on. Um, now, a fantastic video about the kids' TV show Nightmare, spent with a K, 
appeared from a channel called Back in the Day. And thanks to Dr. Local, it was submitted to the subreddit. In actual fact, I'd watched the video before it was submitted to the subreddit, thanks to the YouTube algorithm. Um, it's been massively popular, over 150,000 views on a video, which is great going for a channel with a bit over 5,000 subs. So it's 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 been a fantastic, successful video. YouTube's pushed it out because lots of people enjoyed it. Back in the day, considering how many of us constantly drop the phrase back in the day into our uh, video. Back in the day. Good choice of uh, channel name. We're all promoting the channel every time we say back in the day. Yeah, back in the day. Commission. So Nightmare, again spelt with a K, was a hugely innovative TV show which saw four players going on a dungeon quest, heavily inspired by Dungeons and Dragons, and I'm sure fighting fantasy books as well they were a phenomenon in the uk um we've talked about it before on, on this show but they took a phenomenon in the uk a few years before the show it was a chroma key so that's a green screen um like neil is sitting in front of no uh it was blue i believe having seen the making of was it pictures. okay they may have used green at times but yeah it was certainly chroma keyed but it wasn't necessarily green I think you'll find actually. <laughs> what I said there was like a green screen. Fine, carry on. <laughs> um, room with one of the players in this blue screened room uh, wearing a helmet which stopped them seeing anything in front of them. And three other players in a different room giving directions and making choices. Spell casting, items, health bars, it had it all. And it also had wonderful characters. Some were heroes, some were villains, and some were neither. It was a combination of rudimentary computer graphics, although they did become much more advanced over time with some wonderful role-playing of elements to it and puzzle solving. And as, I, as a kid, I drank it right up. Now, Neil, did you watch it? I did. I drank it right up too, Dave, from the... Uh, drink the potion. What you described as rudimentary computer graphics, but I thought they were pretty cool at the time. Like the, they were. The skull peeling off, the bits of the yeah. face peeling off as, as the energy ran down. Um, the, the chroma key in, as you said. Um, I watched it. I played the game. I wished I was on the show. I don't know that I ever applied to be on the show. Did you ever apply? No, I think it was your school that applied. I think that's how it worked. Oh, is that how it worked? Yeah. Um, I shouted at contestants and thought oh, yeah. I could absolutely do better than them away from the studio lights and the pressure that they were under. Um, I loved every part of it. Yeah. Spellcasting. D-A-V-E. I watched it loads, but I found it frustrating. They weren't kind to their adventurers. The vast, vast majority of teams failed. They made mistakes or they got unlucky. And each episode was only 25 minutes long. And because it was on um, commercial TV, ITV, it would have adverts on it. And I had other things on. I never felt it really had a sense of continuity. I could make an effort to see the next week's episode, but it was only 20 minutes of TV in a week's time, and I'd forgotten about it by then, and I probably wouldn't make it. I did see lots of it, though, certainly in the early years, but I didn't get the, the, I didn't get the closure. I didn't, I didn't get to, to see each episode back to back because the, it wasn't one episode per team per event. So it didn't start, here, here's the team being introduced. It just stopped midway and started again halfway through that team who would inevitably fail. Now, the documentary video goes into huge depth, but it does keep it interesting. It explains how the show started, the technology that he used throughout the different eight series, the struggles they had with technology and virtual reality, how they moved from the wonderful art from David Rowe to actual British and then French, for some reason, castles. It talks about the characters in the dungeon. They were very re reminiscent to me of pantomime characters but they were both fun and well done. Now, pantomime, I don't know if that word translates elsewhere in the world. Oh, yes, it, it does. Does it? Oh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> and more importantly, I answered a question that had been burning away from me for all these years. Did anyone make it through? As I remember, they all got killed, or that's what I was thinking when I was standing there shouting at the TV how stupid they were and how they missed the clues. Well, the answer is, is in the documentary. There were eight full series of it, 112 episodes and only eight teams made it through 
but it wasn't because it wasn't one team per episode, maybe two episodes per team on average, some lasting less than one episode because they were terrible at it. Um, and the whole thing was presented by the very, very charismatic Dungeon Master Traegar. Yeah, Traegar was brilliant. I wonder what the record was for shortest lived contestant. I'd love to know that. I got the impression that they didn't, they weren't cheating. I got the impression they weren't cheating. You would think if it was kids' TV these days, would they have only eight make it out of 112 episodes? I don't think so. I think they were they were brutal and they were they were unapologetic about it. But maybe that was part of the appeal. Oh, I, hang on, Dave. I've I've, I've searched for it. Um, Nightmare dot com. Of course, there's a whole community around the show, very active still even today. Um, Although this is a question asked on the forum back in 2003, who was the which team died the quickest? And it looks like series eight, one team lasted for eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the first room you're in, you couldn't really go wrong. And even if you've not seen the TV show, you may have seen clips of him. It's a bit of a meme now saying, ooh, nasty. Yeah. Um, he'd comment and give tips to the team as it tried to progress. He was a, a charismatic figure that presented the TV show. Um, now, because the the main player had a helmet on, the, the iconic helmet, and couldn't see other than what was right down below them, the other players would describe it to him, and it would almost always start with, you're in a room which had a fair bit of redundancy in it because it was always <laughs> the same room and actually the exits were in the same place, but they put the art they put on didn't make you didn't notice it um, because they were using the, the the green or the blue screen as it was. I've actually said green screen in my notes, so you can you can tell me off now if you like. Yeah, um, uh, it was really interesting. Um, we hosted David Rowe at the cave uh, last year, I think it was, and we learned about his artwork that he did for Nightmare and his video game art. So, for example, the same guy who did the backdrops for those early series of, of Nightmare did the video game cover art of Populous, for example, that floating island that looks like it's been ripped out of the earth, iconic, um, as well as lots of wonderful other video game art ranging from ooh, Chubby Gristle to... I think Speedball, the first Speedball game he did the art for. Loads of wonderful art. So um, you can find the David Rowe interview on my channel. Shameless plug there, Dave, if you want to watch it. But it is an interesting interview. And we also learned that in Nightmare, um, the way they would film it, and I'm sure it's covered in this documentary as well, is that there might be three hours between scenes for the teams. They would set up a room and they would have multiple teams go through that room and record it and then right reset the set you know, get the new actors in, put the green or blue boxes in the right place, in you know, for, to layer the art on and all the rest of it, and then film the next scene. This is old school filming with a huge amount of planning, uh, a huge amount of effort gone into it. And I wonder if that feeds into the way that we uh, perceive children's programs to be now, where, for example your whole set might be virtual and your puppets might be virtual and you can all do it you know the workflow is very very quick does that result in a different type of program than one that needs so much planning uh, maybe a debate for another day but certainly um i'm sure with modern technology making nightmare would be a hundred times quicker to do they'd probably just put virtual reality headsets on them or something and do it all in unreal they did try almost not spin-offs but similar things using virtual reality i don't think it would work i think the reason why nightmare worked is because they were doing things that we, we just couldn't do i mean you and i could do the the, the vr thing now if we wanted um remotely but nightmare when nightmare was on the tv it was something that you couldn't you couldn't possibly do and the technology was so new and advanced for the time that you didn't see past it it, it was amazing it would be a good augmented reality game, wouldn't it? Where you just sort of yeah. blindfold someone in the middle of a room and three of you sit with AR glasses on and direct them around. Anyway, uh, in terms of people who actually completed the game, on the same day that David Rowe came to the cave, he brought Jason Carl with him and he was uh, the helmet wearer on the team that completed Nightmare, one of the teams, uh, and he went on to work in TV himself. So... There you go. I wonder if he hadn't completed it, would have would have soured the experience and picked a different career. I wonder. I wonder. 
Um, and of course, there were the video games. So, talking of games in general, you were talking about how you love to go back and get closure and finish games and play them through. Uh, a big part of that, I mean, I completely agree, but a big part of that experience for me as well is the hardware, is being able to go back and play these games with a spec of PC that I could never have afforded and being able to see the game in all its glory in the way that the creators intended us to see it. Um, but I couldn't because I had to run it at a frame rate of 10 frames per second because I didn't have the latest and greatest card. And then when I did, maybe the game wasn't compatible with that operating system. Maybe it just felt old, so I didn't go back and play it. But now, yeah, I enjoy going back and and ramping up the processor speed on DOSBox or, you know, putting silly upgrades in real hardware, as I know you do too. Um, Nightmare had plenty of games. Um, I remember it was released on lots of platforms uh, 8-bit platforms first time around so i had it on the amstrad did you did you have it on your amstrad as well no no i didn't have that game i had the second game the one the the 16-bit one which uh i thoroughly enjoyed it was um it, it was a great great game yeah well the 8-bit game i played it first on my friend spectrum and then i had it for my amstrad which helped me to get over the frustration of the first screen so me and him on the spectrum took ages to get past the first screen where you're just trapped in a room and you've got to figure out how to get out well by the time i had it on my amstrad i knew how to do that uh it wasn't a great game but I, I remember it fondly i thought it did capture the atmosphere of the tv show and that's partly because you were an onlooker looking at a person it wasn't really third person i guess because you were the team looking at the person directing them i, d- I don't know um so, so that kind of worked but when you got to the 16-bit nightmare games that you said that you you know and love they used the captive engine now captive was a dungeon crawler with a first person view anthony crowley yeah yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and it was a good game in its own right. It was a good game, but I never quite understood how a first-person dungeon crawler tied up with Nightmare, in which you are supposed to be wearing a helmet, and you even see the helmet in your inventory. So that's designed to block your vision. How are you supposed to see? How are you getting a first-person game with that helmet on? How does that work, Dave? It works because. You make Captive, it's a great game, it's got a sci-fi setting, and you think, what do we do with all this 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 technology we've created, this software? I know, we reskin it with a medieval fantasy setting and sell it as cat and sell it as nightmare. Um it was a good game, but it it, it was very remotely linked to the, the TV series, certainly. <laughs> Um, they could have saved them, themselves some money on the IP, I think, and just you know released it as a generic dungeon crawler. Call it a nightmare and just drop the drop the key. Yeah, yeah. Um, the helmet, by the way, was called the helmet of justice. Hmm. Helmet of justice. Helmet of justice. Why was it just to blind yourself? Justice is blind. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Solved it. I remember the bell chiming at the end of each episode. And the dungeon master telling us that time had run out, a temporal disruption, and it would continue the next episode. But for me, I, I didn't. I, I remember it with frustration, fondness and frustration. And I think it was partly because I was a little bit too old for it. When it came out, I was almost a teenager. And I was almost in my 20s when it finished. So had it come out a few years before... I think I would have seen every episode and been hooked. But as it did come out, I I already had my CPC and I had games like The Bard's Tale to play. Um, I think if, if I'd been maybe a few years younger like you are and you were, then I might have been hooked and watching it every single week religiously. Nice of you to compliment all the listeners on being a little bit younger, Dave. Don't they look young? Oh, you're talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes i'm assuming neil that you are younger than me i am yes yes uh, but to be honest i did not follow nightmare in the later years no um for the probably the same reason as you it just felt that uh, i don't remember thinking the format had changed and i got annoyed but looking back on it i do prefer the earlier episodes when i see them in their entirety but personally i just watched the earlier ones and i enjoyed them and then drifted away to something else um but I I uh, admittedly haven't watched this documentary yet um, on back in the day on YouTube, so I am going to follow the link that Duncan is going to put in the show notes, and on your recommendation, I'm going to have a good watch of it. 
This Week in Retro is sponsored by our good friends at PCBWay, who have just returned from Chinese New Year. They get a really nice break. Uh, I think it's from like February the 2nd to the 17th, is it? A couple of weeks off. Is it off the Year of the Dragon? Year? Is it Year of the Dragon? Maybe. Well, there I we think go. it is. So happy Chinese New Year to anyone who celebrated that. Uh, and we must say, yeah, thank you to PCBWay for supporting the channel. You can go to PCBWay.com where they do, would you believe it, Dave? PCBs, pcbway.com, where you can get PCBs, you can get 3D prints, you can get resin prints, you can get CNC things. You could model Dave's head and have it 3D printed, put some electronics in it, make him talk, make his eyes swivel to get it really lifelike. Blue LEDs in. Yeah, um, do all sorts. So that's what Shared happens. projects as well. Oh, yeah, shared project. Yeah, there is... There is <laughs> Joking aside, there's some great stuff in shared projects for retro machines, including the Mr. Multi system. If you wanted to mm -hmm. get one uh, printed off, printed, yeah, I, I guess manufactured and then shipped by a dragon, as it is Year of the Dragon. That's how they do the shipping now. From this year, all all shipments from BCB will be flown to the UK in a dragon. That's a that's a guarantee. Thank you, PCBWay.com. A story posted on our subreddit today, that's reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro, if you wish to participate. Uh, this story is on BBC News and submitted by Lord Borak 316. Now, the title is Xbox, Nintendo or PlayStation, does it still matter? It's hot off the back of another story, which we saw last week, in which Microsoft's head of gaming, Phil Spencer, reportedly had to reassure staff that Xbox consoles will continue to be part of its strategy, which he says, involves multiple kinds of devices. Now, we've anticipated on the show for some years the rise of the thin client or cloud gaming and how it will become mainstream, whether it be through services such as OnLive. Well, I think that, that, that ship has sailed, but the service OnLive, I thought, had some potential some 14 years ago. I was using it back then on copper broadband, but it just wasn't up to delivering the experience that I wanted 100% of the time on the speed of connection I have. Fast forward to today, gigabit fiber. Um, surely, surely something like that can work, Dave. I think that these streaming services for gaming, these thin client services, they'll keep launching, they'll keep failing until one doesn't. And the one that doesn't will be billions and billions and billions in revenue. So that's why I think they'll keep trying because they'll understand the potential of getting it right. Mm, yeah, absolutely, and it's it's not it's not new technology. It's just the demands of needing it to be faster than ever before to update for uh, rapid I, gaming. Um, I use a thin client for my uh, for working from home, and I can't tell it's a thin client. It's that fast and responsive. You can't tell, and there's technology you can use in games to pre-render things to work out what the player might do ahead of time, so it feels more accurate. It definitely could happen. Anyone who's had to install um, thin client terminals, set up Citrix, all of that stuff, it's been going on since, you know, the 90s, uh, if not before. Um, it's just that gaming adds a, a whole extra layer of demand on top of that. Fast forward to today, we've even heard of Netflix discussing bringing gaming to their own service. If you're a retro gamer, then AntStream has been around for some time now. Um, I've, I've tried that. I found it far too addictive and quickly uninstalled it. Um, uh, so all of this begs the question, why is Microsoft having to reassure its staff about the future of Xbox? Well, part of the reason is that we haven't seen that quick shift to cloud gaming. Uh, and the reason behind that is because of traditional money-making models, I think, held on by uh, a tight grip by Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo. Uh, probably less so by Nintendo. They seem to be a little bit more open-minded in, in the modern day to try and different things. But Sony and Microsoft certainly been holding on to this traditional method. But more recently, it's become evident that Microsoft themselves have been unable to repeat the huge success of their Xbox 360 era and unable to take chunks out of Sony. Microsoft have spent a fortune hoovering up game studios and traditionally would use this as a lever to offer exclusive games available only on their platform, only on the Xbox. But it's not working anymore. The article says that in 2023, of 46.5 million consoles sold, only 7.6 million of them were Microsoft consoles. Dave? That's still a lot. 
oh, it's still a lot when you look back at the history of games consoles and mm. sales, but then the market for gaming is bigger than ever mm. before. So um, 7.6 is significantly smaller than 46.5. Yeah. Now, couple this with consumer expectations. Sonic is now on Nintendo platforms. Mario is on the Xbox. Minecraft can be played on your laptop, on your tablet, on your phone on your console, regardless of the brand of console that you're playing. Gamers just want to play games and not get caught up in corporate battles. So this is a, a place where we can all win. Microsoft losing its grip, or to put it another way, competition. Competition serves us as gamers once again. So my prediction for the future, Dave, um, it's not going to be groundbreaking as we've mused over this before, but I think Xbox... I think Xbox will be a streaming service. Um, I think you've already got streaming services in some form on it on the Xbox Store, haven't you, or on PlayStation? I think there's something like that. Uh, I don't have a current generation. Nvidia console. doing uh, Nvidia not doing it or something. I can't. Mm. Maybe they'll partner with Netflix. Maybe you'll see an Xbox section in Netflix or on Amazon Prime, and then you'll just plug out, you know, all your TVs will have a, a USB port that supports game controllers, perhaps. Um, a thin client could actually fit in a joypad. <laughs> you, it really doesn't need much power at all. Maybe you just buy the joypad and it's got an HDMI output and you plug that straight into your tv would your tv your smart functions your tv would do it most yeah. smart tvs if they can do netflix they can if they can stream netflix they can stream that they don't, all they need to do is send the the controller information and they don't know what's been generated at the back end so yeah so there's every possibility that the next xbox console will be a low cost thin client let's say let's say 99 pounds and you get two joypads with it or something like that um and then this, of course, once you get it home, will be based around a subscription-based service to play your games. Maybe you've got a PlayStation. You can go into the Sony store and install the Xbox app and just play Xbox games um, that way. Maybe Microsoft's offering will be a Switch-style dockable client, maybe, so you can walk around and, and stream on your Wi-Fi, dock it, and, and um, well, probably still on your Wi-Fi unless you've wired up your dock, uh, play it straight on your, um, on, your, on your big TV there. I don't know, but Dave, what do you think? Um, is this the path to gaming dominance that will work for Microsoft, or am I am I talking nonsense and calling it all wrong? Maybe Dave, maybe it's the year of Linux gaming. Yeah, that's that's got to be it. Well, Steam Deck's doing well, isn't that Linux gaming? Well, yeah, yeah. There you go. And Android gaming's huge. That's Linux too. I was reading into this, and it seems that we're perhaps at the end of platform exclusives. So the console makers are deciding if they should or shouldn't do platform exclusives. They're weighing up the lost sales from not having the game on other platforms versus the ability to push their platform and the infrastructure by having the exclusives on there and giving people a reason to buy into them. Are we hearing any of the same noises coming from Sony at the moment? Because in their dominant position, you know, they, they've still got every reason to keep their... I don't know down. that we are or not. I don't. Mm. But Microsoft has spent a fortune buying these game creators, and if they're if they're sitting in the boardroom saying, "Hang on, the actual games are more important than the platform," then perhaps that's why they're doing this. Microsoft are selling their Game Pass and the console itself and their own games. So that's three things they're selling. And going back to the 80s, we talked about how the console was sold at very little profit to get the platform running. And then later iterations of it might make a larger profit as they cost down. But the goal is to get it out there and get money in from elsewhere, sales of games, and now sales of the Game Pass. Yeah, we saw that um, alternative models weren't necessarily as successful, such as the 3DO, where the profit had to be made on the sale of the hardware, and you end up with a £700 yeah. pound console. Yeah. So the, the, the 3DO had, you, you had to pay something to 3DO to make games for it, but it was, it was a fraction of what it was for Nintendo and Sega. And that's what, that's what the other issue was, the console was too expensive. The risk that I see for Microsoft, though, is that Xbox end up, ends up being a second-tier console. If PlayStation are already selling more and they have their own exclusives, plus everything on Xbox, 
then you have the choice of getting the PlayStation and getting everything or getting the Xbox and getting everything but the PlayStation stuff. So the risk that I see there is they lose their the Xbox itself. But you need to measure that against the whole monthly subscription instead of the upfront cost. The business model we grew up with in the in the, the 8s and 16 bits and the PC was you bought the platform and you bought the games, or, or you didn't buy the games, you pirated them. Um, you bought the platform and you bought the games and the two didn't interact as far as the as far as finances were concerned. They didn't contribute to each other's profits. And of course that changed. And that's we're now at the point where Microsoft and PlayStation are making much, much more money from in-game purchases, sales of games, sales of DLC, game passes that they are from the consoles. So the industry is definitely evolving. It could be argued that there is a connection there for if we take, oh, surprise, surprise, the Amiga as an example. <laughs> Surely the um, ease of piracy fed into the sales of the hardware. Well, yeah, that, that was cannibalizing the games, I guess. Um, I, I guess um, Dave Pleasance was quite happy with, with piracy that way um, to sell his Amigas. But yeah, the, the, when you bought a game for your Amiga, Commodore didn't get any money. When you bought when you bought a, when you bought an Amiga, you were paying for the Amiga. You weren't paying for the console at a reduced rate because they were expecting more money from the games. There was no link there. But now there is there's hard link there. They know that if you buy if you buy the Microsoft Xbox, there's a good chance you'll get the Game Pass and they'll make lots of money for you. Yeah, the profit so, profit came at the first point of sale. It yeah. wasn't selling yeah. something in the hope that you would then make more money further down the line. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't bet against Microsoft. They've shown time and time again that they outlast everyone else. And if they don't make all the right decisions every time, if they don't win every battle, they'll still do well. Um, but for me, I just want to buy a game and own it. I don't want this modern streaming stuff, at least for now. Maybe I'll change my mind eventually. Isn't this the part where Apple turns up and just goes, right, this is how you do it, guys? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, they, they've got their Apple TV. Maybe they could turn Apple TV into a, an Apple gaming platform. But then, you know, the, the way this looks, all they'd have to do is put the Xbox app on there. Uh, and then Microsoft wins regardless. If they can make gaming thin client and they can get their client into every store, the the last piece of the puzzle there is making sure that everybody's using the same joypad because if you're not, you get into that weird sort of PC gaming situation where oh. you've got to reconfigure your buttons and you don't get an out of the box perfect experience. Yeah, are they not? Are, are, are the Xbox and PlayStation controllers not very very close to each other now? Um, I don't are know the exact the number of buttons they each have, and no, some but... of them have no doubt got patented technology in them that the other can't have so yeah there you go maybe we just maybe everyone must be forced to use a keyboard and mouse in this future yes buying all the consoles perfect perfect well i'm sure that these predictions that i'm making will come back to haunt me uh but we can't be far off streaming subscription-based gaming we're certainly more accustomed to the model now than we were 10 15 years ago through the consumption of other media through things like Microsoft's Game Pass. Um, yeah, and I'm sure console makers are rubbing their hands together at the prospect of being able to launch a platform, in quotes, without the anchor of low or zero margin on their hardware that's needed to propel the games um, and to get the sales out of it. All the more reason then, Dave, I'm going to agree with you here, all the more reason to buy up some retro today and secure your future of physical gaming. <laughs> No real news about the podcast and uh, housekeeping this week. Um, we should, though, say that we have decided not to get a third person in, at least for now. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to thank the people that have applied. A few people did. Um, we, we really do thank you for, for, for asking to come on. We think what we're going to do is have a guest on every other week, more or less. Uh, just not, as we it's, not, it's not a cast iron promise, but we are booking up quite a lot of guests. Yeah. <laughs> and... I want to thank everyone for their continued support. Hmm. Um, we have 90 patrons at the moment, so thank you to all 90 of you. Yeah, no new patrons this week, but I think 100 is a great goal to aim for, isn't it? So <laughs> if you'd like to become an official twirler, uh, and, well, um, perks include your name will be bright pink in the uh, Discord server. Magenta, so you can be, magenta. Magenta, so you can be identified as a twirler. Yes. BBC uh, Magenta. And you can have the 
peace of mind and the warm fuzziness of supporting me, Dave and Duncan in producing this show, um, buying us up a, a, a cup of coffee. So uh, 10 more, if we can get 10 more patrons, head over to patreon.com forward slash this week in retro. Uh, be honest, there's not a lot that happens on the Patreon page itself. You're you're just supporting us doing what we're doing. We are talking about things that we might be able to bring to the page, whether that's early access, ad-free videos. Um, not sure. But at the moment, we're just grateful that you like what we're doing. You want to show your support. And we're keeping on doing what we're doing at the moment. That's kind of the deal, isn't it, Dave? Yeah. Uh, there's already a large time commitment in this. So we don't want to commit to something we couldn't sustain. Mm. Um we have passed 8,500 subs on YouTube, so thank you very much to our subscribers on YouTube. Well, they, there's another go. There's another go. 10,000 subs. Yeah. 100, 100 patrons, 10,000 subs. Um, what we would like, though, is for you to go and give us a review on your podcast app of choice. Tell people you enjoy the show. That's how we get new listeners there. Um, the other did. thing is mm -hmm. uh, so reviews are great, and if you're watching on YouTube, if you haven't already subscribed, subscribe. And also just... Just let's do an experiment. Leave a comment because we've noticed when there's more engagement in the comments, YouTube is more likely to um, recommend the video. It, it's kind of this self-fulfilling traction situation. Mm. So, um, uh, what, what do we want them to say in the comments? Even well, if you I, I forgot to, to ask. I forgot to ask in the nightmare section for anyone that's not in the UK. Did you have anything similar to it in your country? Surely this didn't exist in a vacuum. Did you have a, a role-playing game on the TV back in the 80s? Mm. And if you've got nothing else to say, just leave a comment saying hello to Duncan. Um, yeah. pay, pay Duncan a compliment in the comments. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure he'll appreciate it in those long, hard nights of editing. Um, we also got a new jingle, and this time it's the very first brief jingle. Play it. Thank you very much, Hoffman. He's gone in hard and heavy there. Yeah. Uh, that is a remix of the um, <laughs> the Amiga Outrun intro theme, I believe. <laughs> um, news in brief from G7VFY. A 50-year-old computer found in, in, a, in a house clearance. So this is an extremely rare and much-ignored Q1. It came out in 1972, and even in 1979, it sold for today's equivalent of $90,000. So not a ZX Spectrum. From Squelch411, instant messaging on the C64. So this is a video by Retro Recipe, so that's Perifractic, which shows a new cartridge for the Commodore 64 that allows you to chat online because chatting online, I certainly don't do enough of that, and half my week has already gone thanks to it. <laughs> from uh, Christ of Why Don't You, a uh, story submitted from The Guardian, an, an article on Walkman uh, and how they've gone up in price. Spoiler, they don't work and they need fixed if you want them fixed. <laughs> They're going to cost you money. Uh, I, I get it. I get it. I've got a little bit of nostalgia there for the, yeah. for the Walkman. Um, from Pajaco, the secret language in Super Mario Sunshine has been translated. So unlike Ultima, ping, uh, which <laughs> gave you feelies to do it, Nintendo left you in the dark. But someone has managed to do it after decoding one word and then using it for the rest. So what's that? The the um, the language on signage, the language yes. they speak, the language, no, the language on, signage. on signage. I think one of the ships had the word Viking on it in the language, and they said, "Well, if that means Viking, we can use that to decode the rest of the letters." Wow, <laughs> it's amazing that they they used the language and then gave no nobody any. Why why did they follow that through all the way through the game? Maybe they just wanted someone maybe. to Maybe. If it, it, it was me, I would do it and then not tell people and say, you know, they'll get more enjoyment from working it out. Maybe, maybe. Jonathan Ross, um, his home has a cave in the basement, apparently. He's got loads of stuff in it. Uh, Jonathan, if you're watching, which I assume you do, you watch every week, I know. Um, <laughs> fancy coming on as a guest? I think he'd be a great guest. <laughs> and for decades, actually, it's, it's no secret that he is a big toy collector, yeah. retro collector, 
I was reading an article uh, about the 1991 ECTS show, the European Computer Trade Show, just this morning for some research I was doing. And there he was, a picture of him, a young Jonathan Ross, wandering around the trade show, trying out the latest consoles and video games. So he is one of us. And you're, you know, you're, you're, I'm sure your schedule isn't that busy, Jonathan. Come on, come and hang out. Just spare an hour and a half. Yeah. We'll make it fun for you. <laughs> we'll pay you nothing. Um, and finally, cassette tapes are up uh, in sales. More cassette tapes have been sold again, according to an article. Um, well, of in, course uh, they are. Yeah. If people are buying more Walkman, they well, need cassettes. It, it links together, doesn't it? Uh, they, need, they need cassettes for it. I, obviously, this is the, the Walkmans and the cassettes are to do with people digital disconnect. People say, no, I, I want to disconnect the digital world and have a, a peace and quiet and um, uh, serenity in their lives. So there you go. Our tip of the day, buy up the Sony Discman before that starts coming up in price mm. too. <laughs> or maybe the mini disc player, but I, I think they've always had a cult following. Yeah, I don't know that the Discman ever will, but the the the, the, the mini disc will. The mini disc, yeah, Techmoon's video and that is, are always popular. Mm. Microsoft seem to have a terrible reputation. It's not often you hear people saying good things about them unless it's on this podcast. And for nearly all of my life, they've been the subject of criticism. Starting with, oh, Windows is terrible, continuing with how unstable Windows 95 was, the bad operating system releases mixed in with the good, and we've moved to what, and now with Windows 11, which I'm being completely honest, it is fine. I understand part of the reason why people don't like it and the criticism it gets, but we're now in a world where people don't want to pay for an operating system and they would rather it was cheaper and had baked in apps and so on and phoning home and telemetry and so on rather than paying for it. Now, of course, there's justification for that. Do they? Do they, Dave? Yes. Or is this just the expectation that's been laid out before them and they've said that's how operating systems are now? Yeah, they do. They do. They do. They want it for free. People people don't want to pay for things. People people want things for free. Bearing in mind, I don't think I've paid for Windows since... Seven. Mm. There was one where you, um, technically, you could get a free accessibility license to install Windows. And the requirement to get the license key legitimately and for free was the use of a mouse. Do you remember that? No. In the small print, it basically said, yeah, if you use a mouse, uh, you have an accessibility requirement and you can have a key. And then that key carried on working for the upgrades from seven to eight mm-hmm. and onwards. So, um, you know, it was Microsoft who kind of just started giving it away. They were obviously under pressure to do so from the likes of Chrome OS and others. They sell it to businesses and they sell it on new laptops and so on but they don't sell a great number to consumers because consumers don't really want to pay for it. Um, and they're, all, they're, in, they're in competition with free operating systems as well. The last one I bought was Windows 7, and I'm still on the same license because it, it upgraded to Windows 10 and then Windows 11. I don't know if it'll go to 12 or not, but there you go. But if you look back over the things that, that, that Microsoft have done, they have behaved quite badly in terms of competition, etc. But there's no one out there that's lasted as, as long as Microsoft without doing that. But Microsoft weren't always a gaming powerhouse. We've talked today about the the Xbox and how they're doing with that. They're selling millions of consoles. They own billions of assets. They've always been involved, though, starting with Microsoft Adventure in 1979. In the 80s, they did relatively little, with the exception of Flight Simulator. And this continued on to the late 90s when all of a sudden they wrapped it up. Age of Empires, Outward, Urban Assault, Close Combat, and others. Into the Millennium with Star Lancer, Mech Warrior 4, and then in 2001, it all exploded it for them. Despite starting things back in 1979, two-thirds of their games have come out after the millennium. Now, there's a very good reason for that, isn't there, Neil? Xbox? Correct. <laughs> the Xbox was Microsoft's huge mistake, their huge misjudgment. What did a company that couldn't make a stable version of Windows think they were doing making games? Leave it to Sony, Nintendo, and Sega. They're idiots throwing money away. It'll never work out for them. That's what you heard for a couple of years after the Microsoft came out with the Xbox until all of a sudden 
it just stopped being said because it was so successful. The Xbox was, of course, Microsoft putting a con- building a console out of PC parts, I think. Um, but there was loads of Microsoft bashing at the time. But it has been, it's easy to say now, a massive success. We've already talked about the size they are now, but today's story talks about a very famous problem. And thanks to an upcoming documentary, sheds some light on the red ring of death. Now, thanks to Dr. Local, who have submitted a Lad Bible link, which talks about it. It's a bit of a soft piece and doesn't go into many technical details, but I'll fill in the gaps for you. But it does confirm what I think is absolutely no secret at all about the Xbox 360, but it does confirm it from Microsoft themselves. It was caused by BGA failure thanks to heat and cooling cycles. Basically because of how hot it gets inside, the ball grid array soldering failed. So BGA soldering was introduced in the 90s, and by about 2001, it was popular. So it was fairly new in terms of mass market deployment. BGA is the evolution of PGA. So PGA is pin grid arrays. So that's the pins going into the sockets, you remember, from old processors. So BGA was the replacement from that. Get rid of the sockets, get rid of the pins, go surface to surface with little balls of solder, heat it up, and it all sticks in place. Little golf balls. Yeah. PGA. Uh, oh, no, Neil. Oh, I was on a roll there as well. You can do it smaller. You can do it thinner because there's no pin and sockets. So it's just a bit of solder joining the two surfaces. But it's not perfect because there's no mechanical flexing, unlike pins and sockets, which have a bit of movement. If it goes through repeated heating and cooling cycles, the small amount of flexing can cause the solder to snap off. Further complicating this was the move to lead-free solder around the time that the Xbox 360 was released. And the final straw was Microsoft trying to reduce the size of the console, which led to a design that got hotter inside. So BGA, lead-free solder, and a hot little box led to soldering failure and the famous red ring of death, which affected a great number of Xbox 360s. Now, the interesting thing for me in the story is Microsoft's response. All the information I said there, I I knew already, I think. Um, But Microsoft upped the warranty to three years and they repaired them all. The end cost to Microsoft was a billion dollars. And back then, that's a huge amount in uh, in terms of the size of the industry. And who knows what would happen if they hadn't done it? Would the Xbox have died as a brand? Would it have killed their reputation? The Red Ring of Death was certainly talked about lots. I've never owned an Xbox, but I've heard it mentioned so many times. Um, Had they not done this, maybe we wouldn't have an Xbox today. But I don't know. Am I remembering correctly, was it the original Xbox that all the power supplies needed to be replaced on, or was that the 360? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, there was a great big recall um, for the power supply. I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm guessing they've done the right thing twice then. Because yeah. they didn't they didn't necessarily have to do that. They could have said it's out of warranty stuff, you. Through the power of editing, we've just looked that up. And yeah, there was indeed a problem with power supply uh, on the original Xbox. But it's the red ring of death that has been remembered as a greater problem um, for everyone, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, uh, yeah. huge issue. What yeah. about you, Neil? What do you think of Microsoft? Do you hate them? <laughs> um. I've got a slightly different perspective on Microsoft, um, and and my perspective is really born out of installing and supporting those wonderful, fun things, business and enterprise products. Um, Windows three point one was a very hard pill to swallow. I mean, obviously this this is before I was working, but coming from my Amiga uh, to Windows three point one, it was a difficult, it was a jarring situation where it felt like this should be a lot better than it is. If the Amiga can do that, then Windows three point one should be able to do that and and more me was buggy all of that stuff that everybody bemoans microsoft for but i knew microsoft could do better because um there were other products so i was when i started working the very early days i was installing windows nt on deck alpha systems um i was installing windows then windows um server 
um, and then Windows Server 2000 and the arrival of Active Directory. I was designing and setting up networks with Windows-based servers and, and clients for the best part of 20 years before I gave you know that career up. Um, and I was looking at all of their technologies on the business side. So when things looked a bit rubbish at home and people were saying, oh, ME or XP should be doing this, it should be better than that. I was looking at their enterprise products and going, but I know they can do better because I'm seeing them do better. I'm, you know, where they put the thought into it um, and they're held to account by enterprise and, you know, big business, they are doing a better job. So I kind of always knew that that or hoped that that would feed into the consumer products. I knew, for example, that 2000 was way better than ME. Obviously, it needed a few tweaks and a few extras to become XP and to become consumer um, happy. And XP wasn't without its problems, but, you it know. It was a huge step forward. It was a huge step forward. Um, I could see that a Windows network was perfectly capable and easy for users to navigate, and it was scalable and it was solid if you set it up correctly. The number of times I found Windows servers with their DNS pointing at Google instead of their own Active Directory integrated DNS server I can't even count, you know, the, the whole thing just kind of falls over. And the the guy who said, I can do this, I can set this up, then has to make the phone call to, to the IT support company. And we charge them a huge call out fee just for changing, you know, an IP address in the DNS section and everything springs to life. I personally felt that Server 2012 was a real turning point for how Microsoft did things under the guidance of um, Nadella. It was Satya Nadella, wasn't it? At Microsoft, he was head of that team at that point. And a lot of that, uh, Dave's holding his hands up. A lot of what I was seeing there then fed into Windows 7 um, or Windows 10 because you had 7, you had 8. They made horrible decisions with 8 where they tried to take the desktop metaphor and uh, put that on on mobile devices and they tried to take the, the mobile, the metro thing and put it on desktop devices. Is that not when they thought everything was going to go into to tablets? Like, tablets, yeah. tablets, tablets, oh, tablets. Oh, Everything's going to go tablet and touchscreen. Uh, and so therefore you're going to use your PC like a touchscreen even if you don't have a touchscreen. <laughs> for, for for listeners in, in five years in the future, a tablet was like a great <laughs> big mobile phone. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of fiascos from Longhorn to, uh, you know, forcing adverts or um, forcing applications on Windows. All of that stuff annoys me. But I believe if you take a long-term view and you look at what Microsoft have done, they have always moved forward eventually. They've always improved things. Yes, that might have been accelerated if they hadn't stifled. No, certainly that would have been accelerated if they hadn't stifled <laughs> competition. Of course it would. Competition's always good. Um, but they are producing better products now than than they have ever before, I believe. And part of that is competition because they are under pressure from cloud services, from um, Linux-based products, from mobile products, from tablets, from... All of these other ways of consuming. Apple Macintosh. You haven't, we haven't mentioned that at all. Apple Macintosh. I, I'm not quite sure how big their market share is. Apple in general, yes. Just the Macintosh specifically, not necessarily. But, um, you know, it's a factor. So, uh, yeah, my, that, that's my opinion of Microsoft. Um, it's got little to do with the Xbox <laughs> Red Ring of Death. <laughs> um, I always, I mean, Microsoft uh, Xbox is a huge success story in itself. In that, uh, Bill Gates expressed his desire to have a Windows-based computer in every lounge um, in the late '90s or the mid '90s. He was talking about that, and he tried it first with Windows Media Center, which went horribly wrong. Um, that was another example of trying to fudge a technology. <laughs> to, to do something but, using their windows platform but, on the desktop metaphor go but on the functionality that he was trying for is now in in all of our tvs and our smart tvs yeah. and our, uh, our tv boxes connected to it the, the shield pros and our uh, sky boxes and all the rest of it so he wasn't wrong he just didn't get the he, he just didn't sell us the product for it yeah, and Alan it moved, it. you know, a lot of it became the Xbox dashboard and mm. all the technologies in the Xbox. So he achieved that goal, whether you have your console actually in your lounge or not, or in your bedroom. You know, he got the technology into parts of the house that it wasn't before. Yeah, and that that's something perhaps younger people aren't aware of, that there was a real battle to get the console connected to 
the TV big in telly. the living room. <laughs> uh, the big telly. Yeah. Big it, telly. It, yeah. Um, and that battle's now won. I think uh, most people's PlayStations and, and Xbox are connected to the, the main TV in the living room if, if, they, if, they, if they're owned by the house owner. You were lucky if you had a TV in your bedroom. Uh, and if you did, you did. very few people had a TV bigger than 14 inches. Mm. But yeah. we're going into we're going into old men shaking fists at clouds territory yeah. here. Yeah. Um, normally, I would go and see, read the article, and find out more. But this time, I won't. Don't bother. Um, there's not really much to it. We've we've summarised it, and actually gone into more detail. But the reason the article was written is because of an upcoming Microsoft documentary called Power On: The Story of Xbox, and that does sound interesting. So this is them talking about it. So this will this will tell us things that we don't know, and I'm not an expert in the Xbox, so this documentary does appeal to me. Time now for our community question of the week, the part of the show where we ask you a question, and you go to our subreddit, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro, and you find the question of the week pinned, and you answer the question of the week. Now, the question from last week was: uh, It said Neil used to make his dad custom boot discs. Yes, I did. I did that to free up memory and to help him to launch the game of his choice without having to have any knowledge whatsoever of auto exec files and config files and all the rest of it. He just put a disc in and he could play his game. We wanted to know to what lengths have you gone to help simplify technology of any sort for friends, family, and loved ones? So, Dave, have you taken contest mode off? Just as you were speaking there, I, I slapped out of contest mode. Fantastic. Slammed the door shut. So our top answer comes from Lord Borak 316 and he says, explaining to my parents that email and the internet <laughs> are not the same thing multiple times. They could never understand. So I made giant labels above the program shortcuts. This is for shopping. This is for writing electronic letters. <laughs> he concludes the post with Amiga never dies, Dave. Amiga is not dead. Thank you, Lord Borak. <laughs> um, Malcolm851, it says, reminds me of this classic meme. And he's attached a picture of, with a caption, there, Grandma, I fixed it. And it's two remote controls <laughs> covered in masking tape. The one on the right-hand side is obviously the one for the video, and it, it, all the buttons are covered apart from the power and the play pause. And the one on the left-hand side is for the TV, Funny, yep. and it's got power, the source button, up and down channel, and up and down volume. And maybe, maybe TVs should have come out with a simple remote control and a complicated remote control, and people could have just used the simple one, because 99% of the time, that's the buttons you touch. Uh, the next answer comes from Prefim, who says the classic setting, the Wi-Fi name <laughs> to this one, Mom. Um, <laughs> and I recently built a new Ryzen machine for my dad, who is forever messing up his C drive. So I Velcroed a USB thumbstick behind the glass panel so he always has access to it and can't lose it. Uh, I guess that's a, a, a thumbstick with the Windows install files on or something to... To I guess so. It, to roll it back to a, yeah. a working configuration. There you go, taping things inside, always a good idea. Yeah. I always have to explain to my dad, every few months I have to explain to my dad the difference between broadband and Wi-Fi <laughs> and the difference between cell data from his mobile phone and Wi-Fi and all. Oh, and it's, it's not surprising though because when you look at broadband companies selling their products oh, they sell it on the, they sell it on the basis that we have the fastest wi-fi in the country what, what? <laughs> you don't have to yes. oh there's a bug there yeah um Fiskit says, I wrote a DOSBox launcher type thing in Visual Basic for my cousin, who was seven years at the time, so he could play DOS games on their then new Windows XP machine. So seven-year-old into retro. It could launch from a button in the program or create a batch file with the options you selected. There's loads more answers. There's lots more answers, including QR codes for the Wi-Fi password, um, <laughs> a slightly not safe for work one, which I can't read out. Um, <laughs> wonderful answer from Richard Shears uh, about being the uh, the family tech guru on call 24-7. Yeah, we've all experienced that. 
Um, CRG talking about batch files uh, doing the same as I did. So his dad could play PGA Tour, uh, which was, of course was the sequel to BGA Tour, Dave. Oh. <laughs> Boo. Um, Jacko, Retro Electro Dad, Tech Made Easy, and Warshi, and everyone else. Thank you so much for answering the question. Do go and have a read because it's, it's well worth it. Our new question of the week for this week is... What, in your opinion, are the best and the worst Microsoft products and why? Are we going to allow people to use operating systems here? Could let, let's exclude those. Um, or is that too much? I think anything is allowable so long as you can justify your answer. You can't just really? say, I think, um, you know, NT4 is terrible and, and not justify why. Just walk out. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. Do you want to wrap the show up, Dave, or should we just sort of press stop? How do you want to end the show this week? Well, it feels like we just crashed into a wall. We're just heading off the end of a pier here. How do we end the show? (laughs) Um, Thank you for listening to our Microsoft special this week. (laughs) By accident. Our guest next week is Clippy. Clippy, Clippy would be a great guest. I see, I you're, see trying you're trying to make a, a podcast. podcast. <laughs> would you let me to have a, a, a horrendously political talk take to get people angry? No, thank you, Clippy. No, that's not this that kind of podcast. Sigma grind set. <laughs> All the links to the show are in the show notes. Thank you, as always, to Duncan for editing up and fitting those links in. Come and join us on our subreddit, reddit.com forward slash art forward slash this week in retro. Join us in our chat server, discord.gg forward slash RMC Retro, where there is a dedicated This Week in Retro room. Become a patron and help us hit that goal of one, one, million, one million patrons at <laughs> patreon.com forward slash This Week in Retro. Do take a moment to subscribe and please take a moment to leave a review on the podcast app. Um, just shall I just read my shopping list now dave should i just have a nice weekend that's what that the more enjoy yourself have a nice weekend thank you for being here for us perfect take care see you next time everyone bye-bye he's waving with his strong hand this week in retro was presented by neil from rmc the cave and dave it was produced by me duncan styles podcast version of the show is available through your favorite podcaster including apple Podcasts and spotify and the video version is available on the this week in retro youtube channel community subreddit at r stroke this week in retro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show if you watch this week in retro on youtube please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers if you enjoy our show and would like to support it then please check out the link to our patreon page in the show notes or description thank you for listening and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech